I do it because I believe God has given me these songs. And I always said, before I ever made a recording, I, I thought, well, there's a reason God's giving me these songs. There's so that I can share them with people. You know, I didn't know why else, why else does God give you something but to share it? If he gives you a gift, you can't keep it to yourself. It's so that you can share it, be a blessing to other people. And so that's my goal is to use what he's given me. You know, it's not anything that I worked for or strived for. It's just something that happened. And so that's why I, I know it's from the Lord because it's nothing I conjured up. Welcome back to the interview podcast on the Wine Building Podcast Network. I'm Craig Weinberg. This is July 17, 2020. We have in the studio with us uh, a couple special guests to the studio. Um, you will learn a little bit about what they've been doing over the last few months here. Um, but Paul and Sharon Spoler from, where are you actually from? Twin Brooks. D- the Twin Brooks? Mm-hmm. <laughs> are Six with miles us. west. Crazy, crazy. No bank. Um, welcome to the studio. Welcome to the interview. You're welcome. Indeed. <laughs> um, Great to have let's, us here. Let's start a little bit. Um, how did you guys get to Millbank? Oh, boy. How did we get to Millbank? Well, I grew up here, actually on a farm out by Corona. Went to high school in Millbank and grade school partially. and so. Wait a minute. What do you mean partially? Partially. Well, because I'm so dreadfully ancient that... <laughs> You know, back in the day when I started school, they still had the one-room country mm. schools, and so that's where I went okay. until, um, like, fifth, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, somewhere in there. Then um, my brother and sister were older, and they drove into high school, so my parents thought I should just ride along and go to grade school as long as they were going <laughs> to high school in Melbank. So That makes some sense. Yeah, so... um. Yeah, it was interesting, and then, you know, you grow up and move away, but then the retirees always come back to where they started from. <laughs> I'm amazed at the people that come back to Millbank after they've gone and done their thing, and they come back, and for us, it was to take care of my mom. Mm-hmm. She was elderly, so we just, he was retired and came back to the farm. From where? Like, oh, where did you, you yeah, left, you ran away from Millbank. story, yeah. To where? England? Where'd you guys go? Well, that was, yeah. Um, no. Well, we were from, we lived in Wisconsin. I lived in That's Wisconsin for yeah. like 20 years. He was from Chicago. And then we lived yeah. in Duluth. So we came to Millbank from Duluth, Minnesota. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, <clears throat> I had a job in Duluth for a while, uh, being an accountant. But then I retired from that field and became a full-time transplant to Corona. I thought you were going to say transient for a second. No. A transplant. That works. So then I had to learn, uh, her brother said, uh, are you going to farm? And I said, no, I want my fingers. So uh, other than that, then we just started doing music and doing ministry work for the Assembly of Gods, and it was good. Well, we thought we were retired. Well, I thought I was retired, mm-hmm. but then certain people talked us into starting a Bible camp, and then <laughs> and then it started all over guy. again because... We had done Bible camps for like 20 years in Wisconsin, and I thought when we left that that was it. But actually, it was starting all over again out here. It was been it was great. Actually. So when did that start? And you're you're talking um, specifically about what was Camp Daniel, correct? Yes, Camp Daniel in Millbank was started basically 
the Christian Service Council um, was really instrumental in getting that thing off the ground because we didn't know anybody really when we moved here. We didn't know any of the kids um, that would even want to go. And so it was through them and some really nice people that just kept encouraging us and prodding us, like wouldn't leave us alone until we decided to get this camp thing off the ground. And so that was, man, 10 years ago or more. Mm-hmm. I don't even remember anymore. It started at the Blue Cloud Abbey. They oh, had, really? Yeah, they had a, back in their uh, <clears throat> ravine, they had a campground back there. And, uh, this is back when it was still a sanctioned when it abbey. Was still right? yeah. abbey. Mm-hmm. yeah, and they were great. $5 a day for a kid, you know? I mean, wow. it was amazing. And uh, so it was good. And What they, year did it start? Uh, I think that was uh, 2000. We moved here. 10, I think. Seven, eight, mm. nine, nine or 10, maybe. Yeah, something like that. And so then when that closed, then we moved up to uh, Pickwell Lake, and that had a bigger facility. Uh, it wasn't as secluded, but it it was good. And uh, the thing about the Abbey, I mean, the lake was right there. You could watch the kids, and it was good. But it just couldn't house that many, and uh, the kitchen was kind of unique. It had uh, a lot of... Uh, wildlife wildlife come and eat the brownies <laughs> rodents, rodents. Up. yeah we had to hide it so we learned a lot you know but it was good Wait, was, was that a pickerel or at the abbey at that the was abbey. the abbey oh, okay. yeah but it, it was good and then you know they divided everything after they sold so hmm. we couldn't be there anymore but but you know just keep heading west on 12 you'll find the campground they said so you know and i th- always thought it was so amazing how you know when God wants you to do something is because he put all these people in place to help us with this. I mean, just, you know, Paul and I, we couldn't do the whole camp, but he provided a doctor and a nurse to help us. He provided cooks. He provided the bus driver. He provided everything. All we had to do was show up and tell stories, basically, and it was just amazing. I was like, okay, this is supposed to be, so let's just do it. Right. And it was very unique because our church, we had families there with kids, but a lot of them were older. And uh, so then the Christian council or the people at the courthouse said, hey, there's a lot of kids in town that, you know, that need something to do. So it was a perfect opportunity. And little did we find out eventually a lot of those families started coming to our church, you know, that weren't maybe uh walking with God, mm-hmm. right, or something, but just just felt the love from the church and the camp, and, you know, it was good. It, it, I think we, one camp, we split the boys and girls up, and I think we had over 60 to 70 campers. Wow, we, really? Yeah, yeah we had a but lot. But the problem was a lot of times finding enough counselors, you <laughs> mm-hmm. know, all the Millbank kids are, not that they're wild, but when they get mixed up with <laughs> the Sisseton <laughs> kids and other kids, we had even kids from the reservation come out too, and they all knew each other in sports and stuff mm. like that, so they kind of started wrestling with each other, and, you know, and so it, it was it was fun. But the one thing about camp is you have to take away their cell phones, you know, so uh, that's their, you know, connection to the world while they're at camp. So to take them, have them for about a week without cell phones, it's... Uh, it's a challenge, but it, it worked out good. Are you saying they have withdrawals? Yeah, <laughs> kind of. But that's where we started implementing our camp music because we did camps in uh, Wisconsin, and then we started incorporating that music into our camps in South Dakota, and 
kind of really leads us right to where we're at today, you know, because all Music those songs. Well, all those songs, <laughs> yeah. you know, still have to get out there. And mm-hmm. uh, so we decided to do the podcast, you know, just to uh, bring back those songs and maybe people can connect with us that way. We're not really socially. Um, we we just don't connect a lot with people socially on on the internet. It's kind of harder for us to find the right buttons to push, you know. <laughs> and uh, smartphone. And when I look at the smartphone, I feel dumb. I don't know why, but it, it's just it a challenge. Be, it could be dumb and us. dumber, honey. I know <laughs> you're not alone. <laughs> but I'm just saying it's you know it's so this is a great way for us to get mixed in with the how people listen to their stuff. Well, today, I mean in in. 2020, especially in the middle of this pandemic we're in globally, uh, everything has kind of moved to the web. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's right. People are learning, what, for better or worse, that you can work from home, and maybe you don't need that corporate space, that uh, office space. You might just need a good internet connection and have a decent communication system. And that, I, I kind of think that is just almost overnight. Oh, changed mm-hmm. the the way America and the world kind of thinks about uh, connectivity, which is hard because you guys specifically, um, like your entire camp scenario is based on that personal interaction. That's right. Mm-hmm. So how in the world do you navigate that now when that is not really something that's as as doable anymore? Yeah. I was just telling him, I think this is the first time for me in over 30 years that I haven't done three, four camps in the really? summertime. Yeah. So I'm really thankful for this podcast. Glad we can do it. And, you know, it brings back a lot of memories of how we used to tell the Bible stories to the kids. And and the thing is, you know, you in your mind, I always see all these little faces sitting out there looking at me, and and you just have so many memories of all those kids, and you know, you just you do what you can do, basically plant leave, the seeds, leave yeah. the rest to God. In in the fall, I guess late fall, early winter, uh, would have been would have been December last year, 2019. Um, our night of Christmas concert <clears throat> was happening. And you, in the program, uh, we included a lot more information about our podcast network here. And that's when you came up to me, I think it was after the I think it was right after the show. Mm -hmm. You said, hey, we have an idea. Um, We need to talk. That would have been December, like late December. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Then uh, was it January that we put together a plan? Uh, I think it was kind of February and shooting for April release. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to kick them out, you know, Uh, not just one show, maybe three at a time because your schedule was busy too. So we never really knew how to do it. And, uh, but we did, because we do a lot of recording at home, we have a couple studios. That's an understatement. But, uh, I did have this little Tascam unit that could mm-hmm. that could mix the the two mics together, and we were kind of practicing our podcast there. So when we did come here, we were kind of polished, and but 
what Sharon she could she could just read a script and one well, time through and now just wait a minute just <laughs> that was settle down okay, because, so, so Cheryl, because what is the, you two guys <laughs> you two yeah listen to my side you two guys had your heads together and you're talking about podcast and this and that and I go what in the world is a podcast what am I supposed to do that's you guys that are doing that I just am gonna sit back and make cookies you know well, and, and we did the I didn't the, know what you were doing the s- Sunday service are we helped with uh, um, the church service at Farley Park last oh, year. Oh, that's right. Last August, August, yeah. You were you had that mixer out mm-hmm. at the thing, and you said, this is for my podcast. And I'm like, podcast? And then when we would drive by, we could see the sign outside on the street there and said something podcast too, you know? So he was telling me, but we never went to his website. But until we seen the brochure at the Christmas concert and said we want one of those squares you know but mm-hmm. <laughs> but then the artwork and all that but it, yeah it was something that you so, hear that word it's almost like paradigm shift it's like a new term in, yeah because in i didn't get a job description at all so i didn't know what i was supposed to <laughs> well, be doing well, and, uh, the way i i explain podcasts to people <laughs> when i talk to them it, it, you know those that it's this new phenomenon mm-hmm. it's it's this is the new golden age of radio it's just no longer in the big old wood console that everyone gathered about to listen to the Lone Ranger. Yeah. It's now in your smartphone, the dumb phone in your case. Yeah. So it's it's everywhere. And nowadays with new vehicles, your phone becomes your internet, your radio in your car. You plug it in and it now shows up on your screen and that's all your interface. So as much as broadcast, I love broadcast. But the model of over-the-air radio is just waning. Mm-hmm. It, it's becoming, and I heard this morning that NPR listenership is down 25% right wow, now. Wow, that's a lot. It's so huge. Much. And the reason is no one's in their car anymore to the extent ah, that they were. Okay. You know, there, there are a very slim segment of the population that has NPR on all the time at home. For the most part, it's when you're in commuting or when you're, you know, you're out traveling. Well, that just doesn't happen near like it did because of this thing we're in the middle of globally. That's why they always call it drive time. Totally, yeah. Because and and that those drive time spots in the advertising mm-hmm. world were the ones you wanted to hit. Oh, yeah. You didn't care about the 3.30 a.m. or even the, the 2 p.m. slot. It didn't matter. Yeah, what no. mattered was 6 to, six to 9 and then, you know, and that could fluctuate some. And then that, you know, the three to three mm-hmm. to six, three to seven spot. And, you know, that's where the, the radio DJs made their thing. Um, but nowadays, I mean, I, for a while, I, I have an old van that the radio does not work. It hasn't worked for three or four years. So I haven't in that car when I'm there, I haven't listened to the radio in there and so i have my phone and i just have a series of podcasts that i listen to and that's what i turn on so and you know they're current it's not like it's old stuff but it's usually within the last few days sure so it's yeah. fairly current um and i know when you're you know the drive time in millbank is uh, oh it's long yeah it, it takes you a good <laughs> you know 10 minutes to get through town but but you even listen to the millbank radio and um you know to their credit they try to get shows that mm-hmm. are instant uh, interesting, but mm-hmm. it's it's still they might have maybe an hour or two of local yeah. stuff, and the rest is all some kind of programmed mm-hmm. or 
The, I, I think they locally program the until noon or two. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it's all uh, yeah. piped in from their and then parent then, company. But yeah, the podcast is the way to go. And, and um, But really, it takes skills from your youth or artistic skills to really make it come off mm-hmm. to make it attractive mm-hmm. you just can't better than sound monotone <laughs> right. and you know think or eat popcorn while you're doing it you know you can't you you have to be creative you know you so have a jingle or two i know there you go but i'm just saying it gives you <laughs> an opportunity like a that's a goat know. that's a goat let him out of the cage <laughs> someone's in the basement put it out of its misery it's not even halloween but you know what i'm saying is that you come back it gives you an opportunity to tap your imagination Mm -hmm. and that what might capture an audience or like for us is to lead people to jesus Mm -hmm. because that is the piece that people are looking for just based on our testimonies in in this conversation about uh, you guys developing a podcast um in your discussions, how did the, because what you've done, and I guess we could actually talk about, um, your podcast is called Tell the Truth. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you get there? To tell the truth. Yeah, to, to that, I mean, obviously you don't lie, but I mean, like uh, that name and, and, and the format, because it's a, it's a 15 to 20 minute long uh, yeah. story that you have that typically includes a, a song or two that you guys have written and recorded. Right. Uh, how did I get to that? That's a really good question. All I can say is it's not my own doing. You know, it's an inspiration that comes. And it's just like when you write a song, I don't sit down one day and say, okay, I need to write a song. Not at all. For me, anyway, it's just an inspiration that I believe comes from the Lord. And you just, I just start writing. And then the more, sometimes I'm like, okay, what do I write about? And then it's like, okay, I've got to talk about the sunshine state because it is the sunshine state, you know. And and it, the more I write, it just, all I can say is it's an inspiration. And I just write what comes to my head and you guys listen to it. And if you like it, fine. If you don't, but but it's not anything I've really slaved over or pondered over because it's just things that just come like mm-hmm. writing a song just come sometimes songs you write the whole thing in 10 15 minutes and you go back and you try to change something it's like nope it's supposed to be that way so you know that that was just supposed to be that way yeah so. and then the the actual title tell the truth i just think it's we wanted to name it something that uh was truthful <laughs> but it was just uh, it's all based on Bible. And, and I uh, think I think to me too, because I'm always thinking about kids and mm-hmm. the younger generation and how much stuff they're believing that is not true. And to me, it's anything that I can do to get them back to the truth. You know, they don't have to believe everything they're told or everything they read or everything they watch, but there is an, a truth that's yeah. an absolute. And to two me... Two plus two is four. Yeah, yeah, it's important that the kids know that there is a difference. There is truth. It's not just all a gray area. It's truth. So that was what I was trying to get at. For those that don't know, <clears throat> that may listen to the show... Um, <laughs> as the engineer running that, I don't think I've worked with anyone else 
that can cold read as smooth as Sharon can. Oh, dear. <laughs> I mean, it's insane. So uh, almost everything you hear, little inside baseball, is a one take. We maybe one time we've yeah. actually re-recorded a line. Yeah. Maybe maybe twice you've had to read. Almost never. Mm-hmm. And twenty episodes in right now, there's sixteen of them that are out there. Um, starting next week, the rest, the others will come out. Um, it's just. You know, and we were talking about like this a, a while back because I talent, always go yeah. back to my 4-H days in Milbank. Yeah. Because now this was before Milbank even had KMSD radio. There was a lady in Ortonville that did a little, no, the, the station was in Ortonville. It was KDIO. She lived in Milbank, but she somehow had this little Milbank broadcast thing through the KDIO. But when we were kids in 4-H, they had... Uh, what they call it? A radio speaking contest or something. Well, of course, I I liked doing that kind of thing, you know, being in declam, which was a huge thing in debate and just speaking. And so in this radio speaking contest, I think it was 10 or 12. I wasn't very old. I remember going to this lady's house in Milbank. Her name was Vi Berkner. She was the, the Milbank radio <laughs> lady. And we had to give our 4-H speech over her little microphone up in her house, and um, was this to be over the air? It was. It was. It would end up on the radio. Live. It okay. was live. Wow. Yeah. And you know, I was just a kid, but I really practiced at at you know reading what I had written down for my speech, and and I did quite well actually in radio speaking. And just I I give a lot of credit to 4-H because. We did demonstrations in mm-hmm. front of people where you just had to get up and either read or speak to your audience. So you knew how to speak and how to enunciate, you know, like, you know, they can't understand you if they don't know what you're saying. So enunciate your words and just things like that, you know. And, and to me, it was fun because it didn't take, well, <laughs> it was easy for me, actually, you know, just to give demonstrations in 4-H or talk about stuff or give radio speeches, you know, and I'm trying to think, what was that radio speech about that I gave? I have no idea what that was about, but I think I did win a prize for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's it's really easy to uh, to work with you on a mic, and I, it's just, it's, it's a rare, a rare person that can just pull it out like that. So it's been a blast so far oh, to go you. get to where we are, oh, because no, it's, good. it's, it's, uh, it's fun. So, you know, uh, you, go ahead. And well, another thing I think I mentioned it one in one of these long time ago. One of my English teachers in Millbank in high school, I think it was a freshman or sophomore. His name was Mr. Cooper, and he was just a cool English teacher. And he's the one um, we did debate. He taught speech, and and it's just kind of weird because basically I'm not one to just start rattling off things. I I'm more of keeping to myself, you know, and so I took this speech class, and he was, and we did creative writing and things like that, and he was so encouraging to me because everything that I wrote, I wrote poems, and I wrote short stories, and maybe some songs, but he liked everything that I wrote, and I was, what, 14, 15 years old, maybe, and and I think it's just cool how teachers can really encourage or discourage you depending on the teacher basically 
But I think about that a lot. And I mean, I was so bashful and shy. I didn't even talk to anybody else in the class. But when it came to getting up and doing something that I could do, does mm-hmm. that make sense? Mm-hmm. I don't know. So wherever Mr. Cooper is, <laughs> he was pretty cool. I like the guy. Uh, how did you get into the music world, Sharon? Oh, man. <laughs> The music world goes way back. I think I've always been in music. Um, When I was 14, I bought my first guitar from the Sears Roebuck catalog. Oh, yeah. (laughs) My parents thought I'd really lost it. How much was it back then? You know, I'm thinking it was maybe $20, $25. It was a lot. I saved my money from milk and cows, and (laughs) I did, and I bought my little guitar. You don't have it, do you? No, Ah, I wish I did. Bummer. I ordered it from the Sears Robot catalog, but see, it was supposed to be taking piano lessons, but I didn't do very well at piano lessons. I don't know. I was so interested in guitar because in the 60s, everybody had a guitar. Come on. You're nothing unless you... So so I'd sit by the piano and tune my guitar to the piano keys, you know, and figure it out. So I just basically taught myself some chords, and I'd sit around with my girlfriends in Milbank and... Actually, we went to camp once. Um, a few of us girls, we were at Bible camp somewhere, and another one had a guitar, I think. And and you know who that gal was? Her husband was the music teacher in Millbank until not too long ago. What was his name? Oh, man, remember we saw them? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. Anyway, so we would sit and figure out chords. And, Trio, so we'd go to and different then, churches then and we, sing, I think. Yeah, then I was in a little trio when I was a kid with some other girls, and we we sang, actually, when we were kids in the Watertown KWAT studio. They used to have, in February, a program called Talent with the Heart. And so people would actually go to the studio and do their music live, and then people would call in and pledge money, and this was to raise money for the Heart Association. And so we were junior high, maybe not even. And I have, I found a couple pictures of us in the old KWAT studio in Watertown. Us three girls sitting there, we all had our little outfits on. And, and the mother of one of them is playing the piano. And so we did our trio, you know, over the radio live. And so and just, people would call just, and pay because of that? They would, they would send a pledge. Wow. For the Heart Association. It was like on Valentine's Day or something like that. Yeah, oh, that's and KWAT unique. did that for quite a while. Yeah, mm. and um, then uh, in high school I was in a girls' trio, and then um, fast forward several years, then uh, I got into country music, and I did a lot of um, country music um, over in Wisconsin and wherever, and then eventually... The Lord started giving me my own songs to sing, and, you know, there were people that wanted me to record um, the country music, like, you know, Patsy Cline, whoever, and I'm like, well, wait a minute, I got my own songs to sing. So I kind of came to this crossroads where I had to decide. I mean, it could have gone to... um, Nashville, I could have had the whole recording thing paid for. It was, you know all there and you know you got to sing these songs and I thought well yeah but I'm getting other songs from the Lord and I think the reason he's giving me these songs is so that I can sing the what what he's giving me and so 
I kind of left the country music scene um, and started doing my own. And the first recording, oh, it was, I was so scared. I didn't know anything about recording. I mean, I knew how to be in front of a microphone, but I had no clue about recording anything. And um, it was a, some college kids actually from Concordia up in Moorhead, Minnesota that did it. And I think they did an amazing job because they were just young and trying to figure things out themselves, but I think they did a really good job. So kind of just went from there. He's in silence. He doesn't know what to say. <clears throat> well, <laughs> Paul, you have some musical inclination as well. Yeah, I started. Where did that start? I started young. <clears throat> or do we not need to go down that road? <laughs> well, I just to make it a long story short, um, my mom was tired of me, uh, and the teachers would complain. Full stop. Huh? <laughs> Your mom was tired of you. She was period. tired. Of, <laughs> no. Period. Yeah, because I would break all her bushel baskets. Oh, beating you on know? them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I would take the coat hanger cardboard mm -hmm. and use them as drumsticks. So she bought me a drum. But she was tired of the teachers complaining of me because I would always pound on the desk mm. all the time. I just had this, some kind of rhythm going, you know. And I think it was the Beatles because I grew up kind of right with the Beatles and spinning those 33s, you know, LPs. And you I still don't know, have them by chance? A few of them. My sister does for sure. But, you know, so then I kind of grew up and then I decided, well, I actually started on accordion and then then I played a little guitar, but then drums when I got into high school, um, I wanted to do that and took lessons. And then, um, and then basically when I went through the Marine Corps, I met some people that were doing sound on sound. You know, Tascam was coming up with their Studio One and Porter Studios. And mm. so that really, because I could layer sounds, I didn't need a whole band, mm -hmm. you know. So that kind of got me going. And then I started, but all the music was really stuff that <clears throat> I'm really not proud of, but it was good, you know. It, it was good for the time. And, uh, but then I was a blues drummer, played a lot of clubs in Chicago. And then I uh, basically, uh, Everything I went bankrupt a number of times being in blues bands, you know. Just uh, I don't Musicians know. Musicians are known to be yeah. bankrupt, even in Chicago. And so then when I moved, when I got out of accounting, I was up in Wisconsin a number of years, and then I went back to went to school and decided to get a real career and uh, worked downtown in the Loop and all that. But as an accountant, and then that's what got me when Y two K hit. I was up doing consulting, putting people's accounting systems on uh, computer because they were all worried about their clocks, you know, mm -hmm. not carrying over. So I had a little business of doing that, and that was in the same area where Sharon had a restaurant, and that's where we kind of met. And I, she took me to to her church and said, "If you want to, you know, see where we go to church up there." and when I walked in, it was like a U2 concert. I've never seen <laughs> drums and music, you know, yeah. being praised like that. I said, this was awesome. And that's what started stirring me. And then she basically said, you know, you need to go talk to Pastor Todd and, you know. And oh, then see, I invited him to church one time. I didn't even really know him, but he never left. 
He's yeah. been going to church with me for um, 20 years. <laughs> and so I got right with Jesus, and then basically he God gave me better hours. You know, he said, you don't have to work the clubs anymore at night. You can work Sunday mornings, and and that just – and then all that sound on sound and recording background I had from Chicago and the accounting, because you got to keep track of your books uh, – got me into Duluth and got me doing stuff there, but it wasn't until we got to the farm um, that's where it really exploded. That's when the UPS truck kept delivering equipment to the house, and Sharon's like, what's going on? I'm getting... So he just randomly pops over and throws some cool equipment out? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he just... That's crazy. It was... And that's the problem with (laughs) online shopping. Right. You can never say no. Right. We need to talk about that seriously. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I could do a podcast But you see, in Duluth, (laughs) you could use your equipment for a little bit, and they had great music stores that would buy used equipment. Mm. So it was here, it was kind of tough to ship it back somewhere. But no, that was good. And then we started recording, and... You know, recording is very expensive, and uh, so well, it I used think, to be. Is yeah, it anymore? Well, it's better now. You know, because the units you know, they do everything up to mastering. So now, um, probably about eight CDs later, since two thousand seven, um, that's how many we have recorded ourselves. You know, and speaking of the cost, I remember when I first made my first recording up in at Concordia. Um, this was in 1994 Mm -hmm. and because I had, you know, people were trying to get me to record this country stuff. And I think on the, on the cheap, the low end, a normal recording then was maybe five to $7,000, which back then was a lot. And, um, because it was so much studio time or was that just to get it tracked? That would be studio time, because at the time it was like a hundred dollars a song or a hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah, they they went all this stuff. So then when I found these guys up in Moorhead, Minnesota, and they needed the only to thing, on. <laughs> the only thing I had to send them, I had my own little original songs that I just copied them onto a, a cassette tape because that's all I had. I just played my guitar and sang my songs on this tape and sent it to them. And um, I was dreadfully, actually, if you want to know the details, I had an envelope of their information that I didn't want to open it because I didn't wasn't interested. And that envelope of information sat on top of the refrigerator for two years. And one day, <laughs> literally, it sat up there. And one day I'm looking at that, and it was like a voice spoke to me and said, you need to get out that envelope and look at it. And I called up these guys, didn't have any idea who they were, and I told them, I said, well, I've got some songs that I wrote, and um, I don't I don't know how to do this, and I don't have any money, and I don't even have a car to get there, and I didn't. And it was pathetic. I lived in you know, upper Michigan, and they were in, out there. And the guy, I'll never forget his words. He said, oh, don't worry. He was so nice. He said, we only do Christian recording. And wow. I had never, I just about dropped dead right then because I, I didn't know that that even existed. They weren't in it for the money. He said, mm. no, we just want to get your message out. And so they just charged a real minimal amount. And um, 
it, to me, it was just, you know, when you know that things like that are supposed to happen, because I didn't have any money. I didn't even know how to do anything, but they wanted to work with me and they wanted to listen to my songs, which I thought was <laughs> a pretty big miracle in itself. You know, anybody want to hear this stuff? No, so. and, and that's why when <clears throat> we talked about the podcast, you were saying, yeah, people can come in and do it, you know, learn the system here and do it. And then we decided, well, maybe Craig would want to uh, do it instead of me just doing it. And uh, so we're really glad because every time we have a nice engineer show, that's less engineering I have to do, like when we do our <laughs> own music. And it's a blessing. So so who's the most excited about that? <laughs> You're Sharon. Yeah, I am because you have too many buttons to push. Yeah. Uh, I just have hard disk recorders, so they're mm. not bad, but you were looking at three screens and getting the levels. And every time we hear it come through our TV or on our YouTube channel or whatever, uh, it is just awesome. And uh, and so. I always say, you always have the hard part because you have to know all these but buttons and all these lights are flashing and I have no clue what you're doing. All I have to do is talk or sing. Yeah. That's the easy part. <laughs> I'm still trying to learn on how to punch in something, you know, and punch out. I mean, I, I understand the concept, but... We just roll over each track and blend them later. So eventually, <clears throat> Sharon's book of stories for Tell the Truth is going to be auctioned off oh at boy. some point. <laughs> and that maybe is going to be worth some. It is in longhand. Oh yeah. boy. Everything yes. that you hear on that show yeah. is written out. Yeah. Which I have kind of <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe mocked her a little bit for that <laughs> for, for okay. not putting it on a screen <laughs> you're forgiven i know i can't see that stuff it's too hard i like to turn pages mm -hmm. i like to feel paper and cardboard yeah. <laughs> and it's great and there's it's kind of fun to, to kind of marry the two ideas because like you work very analog and it works beautifully and then to translate that into the digital world is really kind of cool to get it yeah. out there yeah. Globally, really. I well, Mister Cooper Cooper told me to write everything down, so that's what I'm doing. I'm just, you know, using my high school education here, <laughs> writing things down. Awesome, <laughs> and that's why we're glad this interview <clears throat> will maybe get more people aware of what we're doing. So, well, and I mean, how many people know that you guys are in this area? A handful, definitely. Yeah. But but to know to this this extent now, that's right. It's cool. There's so many, there's so many unique stories in this community, and that really oh, is the yeah. the one of the big drivers behind the whole Why Millbank project. Yes. is the stories that are here. I mean, you don't have to go outside of this community right. to right. get crazy stories and like phenomenal um, uh, successes people have had. Mm -hmm. It's Do very you cool. know? I just thought of what a story, a snowstorm story in high school in Millbank. Do you know what year was that? 1968 or 67? Yeah, I don't think I was sure. around then. No, but no. but in high school they had we had so much snow and so many blizzards that year that all the kids in high school had to pick a designated family that they would stay with because the buses wouldn't go out and they didn't want the kids to go home. So we had to pick a family to stay with. You know, my sister, my younger sister went with the Dahlbergs. I went with the Ramseys. And so on Friday, 
afternoon, if the bus couldn't go out, we went over to these people's houses, which was great. And then, because we miss, missed so much school that year, we actually had to go to school on Saturday. Really? We had to go a few Saturdays in Millbank to make up because we missed so much. That's when the because roofs of collapsed the snow. because of the snow. And yeah. and the thought was, let's keep you at school instead of going back to your families? Right. They, it was too dangerous to send the buses out. They wouldn't send the well, but, out. Well, but could they have just stopped school? Or oh. did they say, nah, boarding school, we're good? I don't know what their <laughs> logic was. I have no That's clue. That's crazy. It was pretty weird because then... I cannot imagine that happening today. Then we had to go to school on Saturday, and that was the weird thing because, like, the bus is coming down the road and it's Saturday... You know, what's going on? It was, yeah, interesting. <laughs> wow. I have not heard that. That's crazy. Yeah. So you were in the, well, obviously the old high school, right. which is where Zem's furniture is, correct? No. Well, it, the middle school still exists. It was a long story. I was thinking about this. Um, we went that, yeah, you call that the middle school, but that was the high school to us. Oh, okay. really? Right, and there were so many students. We actually went to school in the Zems building. Well, that was where I went to junior high. Mm-hmm. And then we went to school in the old Odd down on Main oh, Street yes. because they were. that was the insurance building before it was the furniture store. Mm-hmm. And it was Millbank Mutual right. Insurance. Yep. And so they were remodeling the insurance building to make it into classrooms. So while they were remodeling, we went, went to the, the odd. odd. Oh, man, you could tell you stories about that place. It was interesting. Yeah, then we went there, and then we had to walk. You know, I don't even know how we did it. We walked to the high school for lunch or something. I don't know. Was there a tunnel? Oh, yeah, from Central to the high school. Of course there was a tunnel. You think I'm making that up? No. I. I is it still there, or has it been closed? Well, so they took down Central, you know, years ago. Central School was in the parking lot behind the, you call it middle school. Ah. It was this big old building, huge four-story, three-story, big old brick building. That was Central Grade School. So there was a tunnel underground that connected Central yeah, to but the is high it, school. Is it there still? Does it go to nothing? I don't know. Oh, gotta, was, we you, need you, to go you dig come around up, in there. You come up kind of by the band room or by the where we used to have the gym. You know, the, the locker rooms mm-hmm. down there. That's where you kind of pop out of the tunnel. And that oh, was pretty cool. Might find some old Archie <laughs> lunchboxes, those metal things. You never know what's in there. Buried. That's awesome. Oh, wow. Dear. All right. What uh, do you remember? Let's see, that would have been, what, was that in the 60s? When, when was that that you would have been in? In the tunnel? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When would that have been? Well, I think... Good heavens. Let me think about this. I think 67, I was a freshman. So it would have been, yeah, mid-60s or something when I was in junior Mm -hmm. high. Yeah. At that point, did they still bring the circus to town? Yes, I remember going to the circus. Where where was it? It was out, um, I don't know, maybe by the 4-H ground somewhere out there. It was out that way. Was it that way or was it North Main Street here? No, it was out of town that way. Okay. Mm-hmm. Did it come yeah. on the train at that point, or was it on trucks? Do you remember? I don't... Well, the train, that's a whole nother story, because the train used to take the kids on their high school trip from school. Mm-hmm. They used to go to Chicago on the train. My sister did that. But I think... Oh, oh man, there's so many stories flooding into my brain. <laughs> you said they're still looking for those kids? Yeah. <laughs> they went to Chicago, never came back. 
There so, was eight, now there's seven. So, yeah, then they quit the train, I think, the next year or two after she graduated. I mean, they just shut down that line. They didn't There was make a it. reason, because of the blizzards. Do mm. you know it was coming from Aberdeen to Melbank, and there was so much snow that the train actually got buried? I have seen pictures on the track from that. Out there. Yeah. So then they quit the passenger train. Yeah, so the circus. Let's see here. So. I don't know if that was before or after. I don't remember. Mm. I'd have to think about that. Mm. Back then, the circus was cool. Mm-hmm. Now it's kind of lame. I mean, when, when they bring it in, it's just hokey. Oh. And I think part of it is that the stigma of a circus in America has changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you can't. I, I remember finding an old ad for a circus in the old uh, Herald Advance oh. from the mid 50s, I think. And <clears throat> they were boasting a wild rhino. Um, which can you imagine a rhino in Millbank? <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. But you know, my mom used to talk about, you know, if you're on Diggs Avenue and you go down that mm-hmm. little road, the black That's where the old track used to be. The old racetrack used to be. And, and I the fairgrounds. think the circus or the fairgrounds yes. was down there because mm-hmm. my mom grew up in Millbank pretty much. And so she would talk about mm-hmm. going down there. The blacksmith shop was down there. She talked about that, and um, the fairgrounds, the circus was down there, yeah. Because I think th- there is a, a an aerial shot in the city office of the Millbank Township area from, it, it's old, and you can still see the, the oval of where the track was, and so that, and I, I'm not exactly sure, like in my head right now, I can't think exactly where it was, but it was back in that, down around the corner down there. Yeah. There are just so many things that are gone now. I yeah. know. It's like my grandpa's house that was by the library. It's been gone for years. Yeah. They built an apartment building there, and, and that's just not right. You're talking about the Carnegie Library. <laughs> right. Talk and, about that. Uh, In the basement of that is the old phone switchboard. Really? Currently. Oh, okay. Was yeah, it we there? Is that where it was when I it was used? Know. Do you know, or they just have it It there? might have been in another little room mm-hmm. off in the basement, some room that we were Barred. Children do not enter this room. It could have been. I don't remember. But uh, they got some kind of uh, model in the Carnegie Library of Old Millbank too, like an actual. Looks like it's a been a few years since I've been in. I need yeah. to go back in there. They just have. They don't open it. Very but then often, they so. op- open that new building next to it with the Dole and Justice thing. Is that what that's, that is? It, that's primarily uh, the history of the review. And newspaper in the area. Oh, I don't know. So it's cool. They have a bunch okay. of old equipment in there, the old mm-hmm. press they used, and there's some pretty neat things. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my, I, I was in there once, and it's really cool information. It just feels new. Oh. And I love the feel of the old. Oh, like, yeah. like if you want an old museum, right. I love that, like, the Carnegie, the, the museum there is so yeah. cool. Because yeah, it's creaky, you know, you've got all the old woodwork <laughs> and... You cram stuff in there. You just expect to see some dead guy hanging in the corner. Are you going to read all those books in two weeks? I know. <laughs> tell, tell, that, the... tell that story. Because that, that's on the podcast. But tell that story. Because that's fascinating. No, I always went down in the basement when I was a kid because that's where the kids' books were. And, you know, I was just fascinated by all the mystery books down mm-hmm. there. And everyone had their own certain smell. And it was the Nancy Drew mysteries, the Hardy Boys, and... I don't know, Sugar Creek Gang was pretty good. And so I'd come up these stairs, you know, holding as many books as I could possibly manage. How old were you? 
Uh, well, fourth, fifth grade, maybe sixth grade in there. <laughs> and the librarian lady, she'd look over her spectacles, very skeptical. And she'd say, no, my dear, are you going to read all those books in two weeks? <laughs> and I just think, oh, don't make me put any back. I really need these books. <laughs> Yes, yes, I'm going to read them all. <laughs> so do we have a name for said librarian? You know, I know one of the ladies was Mrs. Talbert because she had a, uh, there were some girls in high school about the same age as my sister, and my sister was friends with her girls. Uh, I think it, one of them was Virginia Talbert, and she, they were very nice. She was very nice. In fact, I think her husband was a doctor in Melbourne, Dr. Talbert, mm. T-A-U-B-E-R. Yeah, you can look him up. Librarian, the librarian. Oh. Don't get going on that. <laughs> so in the the time when you grew up here and then you ran off and to explore did your the thing world. in the world um, and came back, <clears throat> what's the biggest change that's happened in Millbank? Oh, boy. Um, well, physically, to me, I don't know when this happened a long time ago. They moved the windmill from the tracks, mm-hmm. the depot out there, and the St. Hubert Hotel... I think mm. that's what it was called. My mm-hmm. grandpa used to take me there all the time. It was the coolest big old thing because they have a cafeteria in the bottom or the the street level of the hotel. And um, that was probably where the mall is right now. Mm-hmm. And I think the changes in the buildings, you know, like this big old hotel was there. You couldn't miss it. And we lived on the north side, you know, so every time we'd come into town, the first thing you'd that see would you be saw, the windmill right. and the St. Hubert you know, and I don't even know when the St. Hubert's disappeared. A long time ago, I guess. Well, and there used to be a, a bronze statue in the road, in the intersection, just by the tracks. Ah. And based on, on old pictures I've seen, <clears throat> looking south, there was a, a, and I don't know if it's the statue that's in front of the courthouse now, um, that soldier or, or what, but it kind of has that feel. And then where uh, Wells Fargo is currently... Oh, um, there used to be the old church. That's there. where my mom and dad got married mm. in the Methodist church. That was a beautiful building. The, the whole Just pictures are fantastic. Amazing. I yes. hate that it's missing. Oh, Ugh. my mom still cried about did it. Did that or, burn down or did they no, just they tear took it down? It down. Or, okay. They took it down because then they built, that's what became Parkview United Methodist out okay. there. And, and at the time, there was nothing out there where Parkview is because it was all swamp. And everybody said, you can't build anything in a swamp. It was all wet out there all the time. But, you know, they hauled in and everything. And, yeah, right, that yeah. Methodist church was amazing. It was just gorgeous. I remember mm-hmm. being in there. And now there's quite a bit of, quite a bit over there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's all built up. Yeah, it is. Wow. Um, Community-wise, people, the, the sentiment in town. Has that changed? Well, we've been gone for so long. I I think there's a really good sense of community here. And I say that because of our association with the Christian Service Council. And, you know, my mom, I guess, was in that. But I didn't know anything about that when we moved back here to Millbank. Uh, I don't even know why I got involved in that. But but it was people from all the different congregations and different areas in Millbank all coming together to help the community. And, and to me, that was really cool because, 
I had never been involved in anything like that before. But all these different people would put in all their ideas and all their suggestions, and it works. You know, they, they've done some amazing things, and they support a lot of things, which is great. And so in that sense, I think, um, you know, the, the Community Christian Service Council is really a good organization. I like it. They're very positive, very willing to help people. Mm-hmm. They do raise a lot of money in this town, yeah, it seems like, you know, the different things. Mm-hmm. I mean, the new hospital and all this stuff. And, yeah. And, you know, what interests me always is, you know, Farley Fest and the Threshing Show and uh, Corn Fest in oh, Ortonville, yeah. you know. So, like, they one thing you don't see a lot here is a lot of Fourth of July parades. Mm-hmm. Because each fest has their own <laughs> their own thing, yeah. Yeah, you know, so that kind of, you know, where I grew up in Chicago, every town pretty much had their own 4th of July parade. Mm. So if you were, like I helped out the volunteer firemen, and they would do, you know, easily four or five parades on the 4th. You know, they start here and start there. and But here, that that's something that I kind of miss. But as far as community goes, it's, yeah, everybody's pretty friendly and um and i think the school too i'm thinking mm-hmm. about the school system which you know when i was in high school um it was good but i think now the school enthusiasm or whatever you call it is just really awesome because i mean if you're a bulldog i mean you have arrived you know, <laughs> you got to be a bulldog. And and I see all the kids that are so involved in the music programs or the sports oh, programs. And I think those programs are really beneficial for this size of a community. You know, you've got a lot of farm kids, a lot of kids that are in town. But the programs that they have at school, I think, are just excellent, especially, of course, the music department, I think, is really awesome. And the drama department and all these things. Um, they've done so well in those things, and there's a lot of schools that can't mm-hmm. really say that. Of course, when I was in, oh, I got a big back here. Now, see, now what happens? You get me going. I think I was seventh grade. The Millbank Bulldogs won the state basketball champs. Oh man, it was a celebration to behold. I wasn't. Yeah, we were in the the furniture store, whatever going to school down there at Zems, and our science teacher, Mr. Wolski, was one of the coaches. Well, my goodness, Millbank won state a basketball champ. We're going to cancel school for how long? It was awesome. <laughs> we all went on the buses down to Sioux Falls to watch the game. It was great. I don't know if they've won state since. <laughs> I don't know. I don't either. I, I think one story that she always talks about know. is going buying 45s downtown at the record store. Where was that? Oh, I don't know, but she said she spent. Man, and walking downtown. Didn't it have a soda grill too or a malt shop? The bakery did. We'd go down there at lunchtime at school and buy our long johns and our donuts and walk back to school. Yeah. 45s, you could buy them in Allen's. It used to be called Allen's. Well, it was a clothing store, and it was probably where that Sea Offers. It was a huge Mm. store. It was clothing, but way in the back, they had a record section. My favorite place. Hang out there, <laughs> look for the newest If you wanted to find your kid, that's where they were. <laughs> and they were only 75 cents. <laughs> Holy cow, do you still have them? 
I <laughs> I have some of them. I wish I would have kept oh, a lot man. of them. I, I had a whole, I had stacks of them. That's all we did was listen to 45s. Yeah. <laughs> but coming from Corona, that was your, that made your month when you could go there and look at the, that was your escape to the world. Yeah. No, it was awesome. Well, that's fantastic. Um, the podcast is Tell the Truth. It's uh, on the whymillbank.com podcast page. Um, where else can people find your your stuff, your music? Uh, you have some YouTube. Yeah, if they just type in, when they get to YouTube, just type in Sharon and True Life. Okay. And you'll come up with about, I don't know, about 20 videos that we put together. Pretty much the videos are our music with mm-hmm. the words. But because of this uh, lockdown that we're in, um, she did like four videos. We have a fireplace in our house. And so she did four videos of just kind of talking. So mm-hmm. we're doing some video casts, okay. what we have called them. So we're trying that. And then uh, they can go to Spotify or just type in um, a Sharona True Life in any of their browsers. And we're on Apple Tunes and a, a number of different places. I use uh, Uplink. Uh, to distribute? Yeah, it's okay. called DistroKid. And mm. that, you know, it's pretty much, you. Can, some places charge, you know, $17 a song. This one, you just pay one fee a year and you can upload as many albums as you want. So that that's a, the best way to get our, and you can download from those sites and, you know, iTunes and stuff mm-hmm. and get our music. And, and just keep checking on our, uh, and we're developing some web pages. I'm personally doing some uh, stuff with Brother Paul's music is a new kind of thing we're kind of looking at. I had over close to maybe 60 songs that I wrote through the 20 years, but with the tight schedule, Sharon cracks the whip. We're always doing True Life songs. <laughs> and so I finally, through this lockdown, um, I recorded 41 songs this year uh, through the last three months. And so those are slowly coming out. You kind of taste a little bit what Jump Up for Jesus was a song that I did and kids like. So it's kind of got the the hip-hop type beats Is it kind of aim, aimed at uh, like the, the camp, yeah. camp model? Pretty much, yeah. yeah. That's what we're talking about. But then people saying, you know, I'm kind of looking at other things and um, – but we, last yesterday, we were looking, there's another 20 songs that we have recorded that we haven't even exposed yet. We've got Ooh. so many yeah. songs that we haven't yeah. recorded. So, We've uh, got songs. So I'm getting mastered. So we're basically got another 20 shows almost ready for our next series of podcasts. And uh, hopefully we'll get in pretty soon to start doing that. But we're just going to rest and enjoy the summer. Um, a little so bit. we so we should have. Let me get the uh, the schedule up. <clears throat> As of the fifth July fifteen episode sixteen came out. Um, That's right. Yes. And so we are. We have you, you have recorded twenty. So you have twenty episodes that they come out every Wednesday at nine a.m. Um, and you you can subscribe on iTunes. So if you have an Apple device, you can subscribe to Tell the Truth there um or you can go to whymailbank.com forward slash tell the truth and that'll take you right to the the website page that just houses the file the 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 shows um 18 let's see here 1920 so august 12 should be the last show 
of this of this set. Of this set, and yes. then we will be back. Um, Probably. Some sometime in the fall. Yeah, late September, October. I'm presuming. Yes, I'm sure she's got some stories about, you know, canning <laughs> to make them right. <laughs> canning something that blew well, up on the stove, and you know, just like the sourdough bread sticking to the oh, hot yeah. water heater, and I've been I've been checking that hot water heater daily just to make sure I don't see any foreign <laughs> objects on it. <laughs> You know, I just I learned of a, a lot about her yeah. during these podcasts. I, like I just thought of a story because you were asking about about or we were talking about writing songs, mm-hmm. and some people say, "Well, how how did you start writing songs?" So I just thought about this <clears throat> something that I've told a lot of different times. Um, long years ago, I you know, like I said, it was in the country music thing, and one day I kind of. It wasn't really an argument, but I got into a, some sort of a disagreement with a friend of mine, and uh, it was bothering me a lot because this lady and I used to sing together a lot, and things just weren't setting well, and it was bothering me when I went to sleep. And when I woke up in the morning, it was still bothering me, and I had these words in my head, like, you know, in this world, you know, you're going to meet all different kinds of people, and in this world... You know, there's just one way in this world. And I kept, and these words were just in my head. And next thing I knew, I grabbed my guitar and it turned into a song. And that was the first song I ever wrote. And it's called In This World. And so then (laughs) the thing was, this little church I was going to up in the UP of nowhere. Upper Peninsula. um, In Michigan. Uh, every Sunday night they had what they called singspiration. So everybody had to get up and do something. You have to say a verse mm-hmm. or sing a song or or say hallelujah or do something. And so I knew that I was supposed to get up and sing this song, and there was no way. I was petrified. <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to sing this song. People are going to laugh. They're going to think I'm a moron. I don't know what they're going to think. But the more I put it off, you know, the more miserable I became because I knew I was supposed to get up and sing that song. And so eventually, with much fear and trepidation, I got up and sang my song to this small little group of people. And as soon as I did that, the Lord gave me song after song after song. I mean, I would just sit down and or I would just, you know, maybe open my Bible or just be thinking about something. And all these ideas came to my head and they had to be a song. So I literally have notebooks full of songs. And, you know, some of them I've, you know, we finished up and recorded. Some of them are still sitting there in my notebooks. But but I just learned that that when you obey and do what you feel like is the right thing to do you never know how it's going to end up I mean little did I know I had no idea how about writing songs or anything but it all kind of started with that little experience we wanted to make sure that uh... in this world yeah it's the first first song I ever wrote in this world there's just no telling what will happen day by day In this world you can't depend on the empty words that people say In this world there's just one thing I know will always be That's the love of my Jesus for me Oh, the love of my Savior 
your that was in this world what is the goal of your music why do you do it why do I do it yeah I do it because I believe God has given me these songs and I always said before I ever made a recording I I thought well there's a reason God's giving me these songs there's so that I can share them with people you know, I didn't know why else Why else does God give you something but to share it. If he gives you a gift, you can't keep it to yourself. It's so that you can share it, be a blessing to other people. And so that's my goal is to use what he's given me. You know, it's not anything that I worked for or strived for. It's just something that happened. And so that's why I, I know it's from the Lord because it's nothing I conjured up. You know, and my goal is to just use it to say thank you Jesus for whatever you've given me I'm going to do my best to give it to other people you can't hold it back awesome well I appreciate you guys taking the time to, to do this we've been oh, talking about great. it from the beginning of the our little venture here and I I think it's great um we'll have to have you back because there are plenty more stories we need to get out oh, yeah. <laughs> we need to <laughs> talk again so uh tell the truth is the podcast uh it's on ymoblink.com slash podcasts uh that'll take you to all the shows that come out of the studio um right here on main street and if you have an idea uh for a show or if you have a story you want to tell please don't hesitate to contact us there's a contact page on ymoblink.com otherwise you can email at ymoblink at gmail.com um any last thoughts before we you know sign I, off? I did just think of something um you know, through the years, people have given me p- 
poems or something they've written and say, can you do something with this? Or you can you make a song mm-hmm. out of this? And I have done that. And sometimes I've written songs for specific things. This past winter, we did a veterans retreat up at Blue Cloud Abbey or the Abbey of the Hills. And, you know, it, it's nothing that I really even thought about. But the more we got involved in this retreat for the veterans, it's just like a song came to me. So I did a song specifically for the veterans. And um, we need to record that. I don't even know if we did. It, it was pretty amazing. And and it talks about, you know, this was for Vietnam veterans mm. specifically. So and I, at the time, I think I was a girl of 16. So I talk about like, what did it mean to a girl of 16 when your friends go off to war? And then another song that I wrote specifically for something is for a lady that does a camp over in Ortonville. And she has a particular theme. And so um, I wrote a couple songs for her for her camp. And just things like that that, that come along. Um, other instances were where you've written specific things for specific people. And I think that's that's kind of interesting to do that because, you know, it's like, well, okay, I think I can do this. Let's just <laughs> try it and put it out there. Then I usually put a crazy drum beat behind it and... You know, it just emphasizes. But that song, Jump Up for Jesus, uh, we've been playing it for years. And last year we had 100 kids in the Midwest Bible camp jumping for Jesus, you know, even the adults. And, and the, that, that's kind of scary. Did you notice the stage was going up and down yeah. like this while they were up there jumping? <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's this unique way Jesus sparks kids. And, uh, and I mean... I think what touches me the most is when they're playing by themselves and they're singing a song that God used through mm-hmm. us and they're saying, jump up for Jesus. Oh, that's a jump up for Jesus, dude, you know? <laughs> and uh, so it, it's kind of funny. It, it It's just, it's very simple words, but the thing is, is that you put a little Chicago blues flavor behind it and you know, it, and then that's just with her songs like Shout and John 316. It's just, I think they're simple songs, but they're catchy for kids. And, and if and if we can get them, because we're looking to patch, pass the torch of this ministry to somebody, and uh, we don't know who that's going to be, but it's going to come. And maybe they can just, maybe we can inspire them to just uh, plug in. Mm-hmm. Well, this is the interview podcast on the Y Building Podcast Network. Um, thanks again for coming in for this this last hour or so. Uh, and once again, tell the truth is the podcast. Um, keep writing, definitely, Sharon. Don't stop because there's certainly it's up to God. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> as long as I have inspiration. Excellent. I think she uses a pencil, and and that's awesome. It's easier to. <laughs> To add to and edit. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. I'm Craig Weinberg. This is the interview. Have a great day. Uh, it is 2020 in the summer. Um, stay healthy. Check up on people that you might not have seen for a while. Give them a call. If you can, look them in the eyeball and just make sure everyone's all right. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>